Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the Spanish Grand Prix and ask if there's any way back for Ferrari. Five out of five, that's the Mercedes 1-2 scorecard after five races of the 2019 Formula 1 season. The Spanish Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton leading home Valtteri Bottas after taking the lead at the start of the race. A huge championship lead now for the Mercedes drivers. Hamilton, of course, retaking the lead of the Drivers' Championship. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to review the Spanish Grand Prix first is Scott Mitchell. Now, we've just been having a dispute about the very thing we are sitting on in this not far from Barcelona, but I say not far from Barcelona because I don't know where anything is here other than the circuit, Barcelona itself and Girona. Everything else is just in this weird netherworld. Well, as you worked out this morning, Ed, we are also quite, not only are we just outside of Barcelona, I think we're about 15 minutes down the coast from sort of central Barcelona. Um, we're near Badalona, aren't we? Because that really annoyed you on your way into the circuit. Well, it's just a lack of variation in place now. It's quite it? lazy, isn't it? But we are on what I believe to be a very comfortable sofa in a in a perfectly pleasant little house that we've uh, we've booked through uh, online means. I don't want to give anyone a, a free advert. This is a, a, a glorious, well-respected and well-listened to podcast. So if they want to advertise, they can pay for us. Um, but we're on a very comfortable sofa, very big. I, I'm, I'm lounging. I'm at a bit of an obtuse angle at the moment. I'm not being obtuse. I am simply, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat reclined, aren't I? And I actually think the the other podcast uh, guest tonight agrees with me, Ed. Unfortunately. Well, before I introduce him, I'm going to have my say because, uh, as far as I'm concerned, this sofa is designed for someone with legs three times the length of a normal human being and a back twenty five percent the length of a human, normal human being. I actually, I, I find the dimensions. I, I'm, I'm in the corner of the sofa. Props up with a couple of pillows, and if you compare, if listeners remember the Spanish Grand Prix podcast from twelve months ago, when I almost stacked it off, what we do you remember? We were in that attic. Yeah, you did. You did basically fall off whatever you were balanced. It on. was a. It was a weird setup. We. It was that was not comfortable. That that was a weird seating arrangement. This is absolutely fine. 
this is this is very very luxurious actually. It's it's uh, it's gone very very well. Well, my other guest and making his debut on a on a post Grand Prix podcast, but a familiar name and voice to podcast listeners and indeed watchers of our video content, Jake Boxall Leg, the permanently baseball capped technical specialist. Yeah, I'm wearing this because I want to annoy Kev Turner, uh, our magazine editor. Ke- Kevin Turner. Kevin Turner. Kev Turner. Kev- uh, Kevin Turner at first mention. Thereafter, you can be referred to as Kev. <laughs> it's like with you, we can refer to you as Jake Boxer Leg initially, and thereafter, JBL. Oh, uh, but you can't actually, because on my passport, my name's actually Jacob, so where what we, where do we draw the line on this? Well, this is this is dangerous. You're commonly known as Jake Boxer Leg, though. That's fine. Oh, I, want, I think he's commonly known as JBL. <laughs> That's very true. The point was, I wanted to uh, irritate our autosport magazine editor through audio means as well as through visual means. You do have a hat for a podcast. Yeah. Well, he hates the hat uh, and I'm wearing it now just to, just to you know, throw a little bit more shade in his direction. So uh, if you want this in Kevin or Kev or whatever the hell I'm Mr. calling Mr. Turner. Uh, man. <laughs> uh, I'm wearing a hat. Uh, deal with it. Yeah, I'll have to send him a photo later because that always winds him up. Well, with that high-quality uh, introduction, we can expect some great analysis of the of the Spanish Grand Prix. Well, let's start with you, Jake, because we all came to Barcelona very excited. Always lots of upgrades. We knew Mercedes had an upgrade. Ferrari had a new spec engine, plus aerodynamic upgrades. Red Bull had some aero upgrades. And the result was that Mercedes seems to be even further ahead. Yep. Uh, well, that's the thing. Mercedes just continues to bring massive massive updates to this car there's no stopping them um it seems and they've gone through this marginal gain sort of basis of how they've come up with their design and how they've come up with the upgrade path and the strategy uh for it that they did something very similar last year it worked they're doing it again this year and ferrari doesn't seem to have an answer for it there's no reaction to it it's like they were I don't know, very blasé about it at the start of the season. They thought, oh, yeah, no, we're fine with our car. I think we'll be good for the first few races and then we'll get down to it. But then Mercedes has just been relentlessly improving. Um, The parts over this weekend, we don't want to just talk about Mercedes and Ferrari because there's been so many teams bringing lots of different things. I mean, the new parts must be in the thousands or something if you're counting, you know, little screws and ways to fix them. Every single mounting and widget that makes... Yeah, fixes the parts to the car. Exactly. Um, yeah, there's been a lot to talk about. Uh, I think we've done two technical features on autosport.com and there's a third one coming and I still don't think we've covered all of the main ones yet. So there's still quite a lot to talk about and I'm sure there's a lot more to come as well. What was on the what was on the Mercedes this, this weekend that was new? Uh, off the top of my head, so they had a new front wing. Um, so they'd gone with something very similar to what Rebel had done. Um they basically, because all front wings now have to have five elements, so but they've shortened the top flap so that they could put a split in the next one, so that it still counts as five elements, and that just helps them to control the airflow uh, in the centre of the wing a little bit more easily. Um, they changed their barge wheel package uh, again. Um, that was a lot more complex uh, compared to what it was in in Baku. They've just yeah, it's just been things like that and. They're continuing on this steady march, and you know, even if they bring small things to the next race, it will still be something. Well, the worst thing is that the engine upgrades tend to be the, the things that give the biggest performance steps, and that was the case last year. And Ferrari brought forward its its engine upgrade, didn't it, Scott? And apparently it all worked fine. They had some aero tweaks as well, tweaks to the front wing, that, that elongated fin on the on the engine cover. And then Ferrari is, is miles behind, just just not not at the races. Yeah, it's uh, it was weird. I think uh, by Ferrari's own admission, uh, it was a weekend that fell well below expectations. Um, the upgrades were, to to quote Mattia Bonotto, Ferrari team principal, insufficient. It's not that they didn't work. It's not that they didn't do what they were meant to do. It's just it, it wasn't enough. Mercedes had had set a, a pretty ominous benchmark over the first four races. It became the first team to start the season with four one two finishes when they were first and second in Baku. And now I believe they've matched the the outright record for consecutive one two finishes at any point during a season with with five one two finishes. So yeah, they set that ominous benchmark. They've moved the goalposts again this weekend. Um there's just no stopping them. It's 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 so impressive because when Mercedes 
when Mercedes brings something, it's, it seems to un- invariably work. It doesn't take them that long to to get on top of it to optimize it. And and judging by what the drivers were saying, I know the conditions over the course of this weekend were very different to testing. It was warmer, um, uh, quite quite a bit warmer. Um, and the cars are quite different now to what they were like in testing. But the the drivers were just saying that the the performance, especially in the slow speed corners, was was so different. And I I find it so so impressive what that team has done because this is a, a, a package that everyone I think probably a bit too um, I don't know what the right word is, but maybe they were being a bit unfair on Mercedes in the early years of this engine era, and it was just it was clear that they had the best engine, but maybe maybe they maybe the effort that was going on on the the you know the car side of things the chassis side the aero side was being a bit downplayed because they 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 can't have the performance they've got now if they're not building an all-round brilliant car everyone keeps saying that ferrari's got the best engine ferrari had an upgraded engine barcelona as well that seemed to be giving them good straight line speed and uh, ferrari was certainly happy with what they were getting from the engine side of things but Mercedes now appears to have the benchmark car. Max Verstappen certainly said that the the Red Bull is not quicker anywhere around Barcelona to, compared to the Mercedes, and Red Bull is normally the benchmark in terms of chassis. So I just think Mercedes have uh, they've pulled an absolute blinder so far this season, and the worrying thing for everybody else is they seem to only get get better and better. Well, Lewis Hamilton was saying after the race just how much work was going into it, and also the fact that if things do go wrong. There's just a, that there's not that blame culture. They just see what the problem is, get on with it, and they're always pushing and wanting feedback from the drivers from what what they want. And you know, in, in terms of what this weekend means for Ferrari, because we've been looking for this resurgence, and you know, it, it's almost at the point now where you're thinking Ferrari is going to have to do something miraculous to get back in the championship fight. Because bearing in mind, in order to get back in the title fight. They don't just need to get onto Mercedes level. They probably need to get beyond it. It's looking really tough now. Well, the, I think as a team, they're, what, nearly 100 points behind already? It's an enormous margin. And on, on the driver's side as well, I think there's more than 40 points between the lead Ferrari, which is Sebastian Vettel, and the, and the Mercedes out in front. So it's an enormous task. to Put simply, uh, unless Mercedes start not finishing races... You know, you don't have to be a genius after the first five to realise that Ferrari need five one-two finishes between now and race ten to uh, pro- to properly undo the damage of the first five races, and that is incredibly unlikely as it seems. What's really worrying from a c- competition point of view in the championship, and I'm sure is the big problem internally at Ferrari at the moment, is they don't seem to quite understand what the problem is. Like I said, their reports are that the upgrades are working, the car is the data is doing what is the numbers are what they're meant to be the engine's pretty good the drivers don't seem complete like the drivers don't seem really unhappy with what the car's doing on track they just don't it doesn't seem to be translating in, into lap time and until they work out exactly what the problem is and how to address it they're not going to be able to make make gains if they're bringing upgrades and the upgrades are working but it's not making the car quicker compared to mercedes i I'm worried that they're going to be a bit lost. Well, I think the problem is almost that there's not, there doesn't appear to be a fundamental overriding problem because if they're, at least if they're putting parts in the car and they weren't working or they had to run the engine massively detuned because there were reliability worries, you could point to something and say, well, okay, we can work through that. But I mean, for example, I was watching, it was the third sector Ferrari was was particularly down. I'm watching on, on Friday morning through the chicane that the Ferrari was absolutely fine. It wasn't doing anything untoward. It wasn't, it was under the drivers. They were able to attack the corner. It's just just not carrying through the same speed, not through any fundamental limitation. So that just says says to me it's 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 pure grip, and that's largely a function of downforce, but also the the dynamics of the of the car as well. It, the Mercedes is just it's, the Ferrari is good. The Mercedes is just better. This goes back to what JBL said at the start, really. Ferrari maybe being a bit blasé with where the performance of their car was and what they did or didn't need to do upgrades-wise at the start of the season, uh, that they realised when they got to Australia, oh, hang on, we're going to be behind the curve here. We need to intensify this. We need to try and shortcut the development programme, bring updates earlier than we want to. So, yeah, the engine that they brought here wasn't due until Canada. That's two races early, a month in in development terms. That's pretty impressive. 
Uh, they had new aero parts as well here. JBL, you can explain a little bit better what they got, but it's the second race in a row they've brought aero upgrades. So they're not slouching. They're just not doing a good enough job, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, the thing is, it's not even like big aero updates that they've brought. It's not like a Mercedes-level you know, overhaul of the front wing and overhaul of the entire bargeboard components. Like The first bargeboard upgrade they'd had was Baku, and that was only a few detail bits. What they brought to to Spain is uh, a slightly rehashed front wing. It's not much different to the previous one. It's just the end plate's a little bit different. Um, it's trying to essentially accentuate what it's currently got now. And an engine cover that's just basically got a little bit of a cut in it that's made it, you know, it's elongated the uh, the fin at the back. But it's, again, it's there's not much substance to it. It just seems to be based on this blasé notion that the car is quite good and they've only need to do a few detail improvements to it. But that's just not the case. And there needs to be some kind of genuine overhaul, if not of the aerodynamics package, then of the car itself. Because I, I now am starting to feel like Ferrari don't look like they've got much of a leg to stand on this in this championship fight. So, yeah, um, I appreciate that sounds a bit doom and gloom. We're only five races in, of course, but it's hard to see where, you know, a win's going to come from at this rate. Well, Sebastian Vettel was 0.866 off in qualifying. So that's a huge amount of time to be down. And then in the race, they, you know, they're in a battle with Red Bull. Incidentally, a battle they lost with Max Verstappen taking third place. So, yeah, Red Bull is is coming on strong in the battle with Ferrari. And Mercedes just just up up there on up there on its own. So it's it's an all all Hamilton Hamilton Bottas battle at the moment, isn't it? Well let's just talk about that that Hamilton Bottas battle because there was an interesting dynamic this weekend because Bottas basically had the edge all the way up to the moment the lights went out and you know it does seem that, that Bottas did have the single the, the single lap pace advantage. And he's adamant that in the race he had identical pace to Hamilton. He basically his argument is that as soon as he lost out at the at the start on the run down to turn one, the his fate was sealed basically. He he I think he said that as soon as you're within about four seconds around Barcelona, you start to have massive problems with the dirty air, you start sliding, start killing your tires. And this was a race where the I think we, we discovered in we about halfway through that the Mercs were gonna be limited in terms of uh, where weren't they so it was it was a case of management from that point so Bottas is basically saying that the race pace and how far he fell behind Hamilton is irrelevant because he stopped pushing effectively I'm, I, I don't know whether to sort of take him at face value on that or not I don't feel like Bottas is the sort of person to make an excuse or sort of pretend something's better than it than it is uh, but he was really really um, he was really downbeat after after the race uh, because of the clutch problem that he said he had at, at the start which was a, a little bit weird I don't really know what a, the, the the cause could be um, I certainly wouldn't pretend it's my area of expertise but all I can say is what Bottas described the problem as and he said it was like he could feel it sort of biting releasing biting releasing and it was almost like it could almost feel like a g-force basically though and it's almost like he was saying like the car was sort of rocking a little bit and he could feel it and he said that the, you, you can see it on the data um that, that there was sort of oscillations there and the the vibrations he says that he said it was just really annoying because it meant that he didn't get a, a very good initial launch and then that meant that Lewis got alongside him on the right hand side Sebastian Vettel attacked him on the left hand side and I know you, you think don't you Ed that Bottas just did a really good job not to crash into turn one but unfortunately for him just simply not crashing wasn't really what he wanted to be doing in turn one. He wanted to be holding the lead, and unfortunately, he was uh, he was a he wasn't a sitting duck into turn one, but the damage was done off the line. Yeah, he, he did a, did a good job in that. Uh, in terms of the start thing, I, I checked in with Gary Anderson to see what he thought about that, and he said it's something that it sounded a lot like a problem they encounter quite a lot, which is the clutch is a bit too cold; it just doesn't quite engage properly and you get that a bit like when brakes are cold you don't quite get that that proper that proper bite so uh, yeah just just not getting the uh the the required friction as it were so just could be temperature mercedes haven't said what it is it could be something different but that that was sort of gary's best guess for what it's likely uh to be and yeah but his pace he was clearly quicker um 
on, on single lap pace and Hamilton sort of said that was the case and there was the qualifying qualifying gap which was over six tenths was not representative because of the problems uh Hamilton had but yeah up, up to that up to that race the race start it was it was Bottas's yeah and it's impressive because it's three races in a row in which Bottas has outqualified Hamilton but what Bottas and Hamilton will surely be taking away from that is that of those three races Hamilton has won two of them and he's won those by beating Bottas into turn one. And he, he got a better start than Bottas in Baku as well. It's just Bottas toughed it out a little bit more bravely around the outside there because he was able to and, and Hamilton gave him room. But it's three races in a row where uh, where Bottas hasn't necessarily made the best start from pole. And if you're Hamilton, you're looking at that and thinking, well, obviously I'd rather be on pole position. But I would take from that, if I was Lewis that even if I don't start on pole, this guy's beatable. And if I take it from Valtteri's point of view, I'd be a bit worried and think, well, okay, there was this clutch thing this time, but three less than optimal starts in a row. I know that Lewis has clearly got some work to do on one lap pace. He's not entirely happy with the feeling of the car. He was still making some changes to the car, apparently, on the uh, after his uh, reconnaissance lap. So the grid before the start of the race, he had a bit of a feeling that he didn't like and he was having to react to that. Lewis isn't at all comfortable at the moment. Um, and, you know, Valtteri's had his own sort of min- little problems. He wasn't the happiest um, of the two drivers in Bahrain, for example. But it it just feels at the moment like this Bottas 2.0 that we've talked about, he's obviously really quick. And he is much more of a threat than he than he has been the last two seasons, even uh, even when he has made strong starts in the past. But he's not... It's not coming together. Uh, Lewis is now in front in the championship. They're now they've now got a bonus point each for fastest lap, so Bottas doesn't have that in his corner anymore either. And if it were if it were my sort of call to make at this stage, I would suggest that the momentum is it hasn't swung Lewis's way entirely at the moment, but it's going that way because we're move going to move clear of the races that favour Bottas. And we're soon going to come into Hamilton territory with those, um, you know, races in 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 war, warmer countries and really limited circuits and stuff like that. So I think as much as Hamilton's got work to do on the one lap side of things, and Bottas is surely going to take heart from three poles in a row. I think the circumstances of the race keep seeing sort of keeping with what we've seen the last two or three, and I think uh, Bottas might start to get a little bit worried now. Well, looking at the, uh, you talked about Bottas's saying the race situation went against him. I think he's partly right. However, I do think there were some signs of some old weaknesses because he lost a lot of time towards the end of the first stint, dropping back. Yes, he had the disadvantage of being in the wake earlier of Hamilton, but he went from about four seconds behind at lap nineteen to being ten seconds behind by what was it lap twenty six when he when he pitted, and that's an old Bottas problem not being as because Lewis Hamilton's very good on tire management, and Bottas that's been a weakness. We saw that quite a few times last season. He just sort of slump backwards and 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 lose places on when they're a little bit marginal on the tire. So that that concerns me a bit. Uh, and in terms of the the outright pace, yeah, I mean. It was difficult. I think once you're right. Once he was behind, he was he was almost invariably going to finish second, but he could have could have maybe been a little bit closer. So it it was interesting. And I think you know Hamilton said after the race, I asked asked him about that. He he basically said that the setups were basically the the same, and that the that he felt any tire management difference was largely in the the way they they managed the tires and and the driving style, which Hamilton obviously has worked on a, a fair bit. So yeah, that, an, an interesting one, obviously. It's fairly straightforward in the race from stage because they were able to build up. They got they got to the point where they could have taken a second pit stop, even if even if others had one stopped and and still been okay because Verstappen was already locked into the two stops, so they only had to worry about the Ferraris potentially one stopping. So it was just miles ahead for for uh, for those two. And and yes, Max Verstappen taking that third place. I mean, what do you make of Red Bull JBL? Um, to be honest, they didn't bring too much to Barcelona, which is. All the more surprising, given how well strong they were. The second best team, you could probably say, after that race, Verstappen was pretty fantastic. Um, did everything that he could probably do in that race. Um, I don't think he was ever going to collect. He, he made a good fist of trying to close off on Bottas, but don't think realistically he was ever going to catch up. Um, so 
that it's a really good result for them. Um, obviously, we still have the the issue that you know Gasly's not quite on Verstappen's pace uh, by any me- measure. Um, he's he's getting more comfortable with the car, but there's still yeah, it's a good job that there's a test at the end of this uh, after this race because he still needs more time in the car. Um, he did lose. a a chunk of it uh, in testing when he had a couple of shunts. Uh, he, he's a bit of a confidence driver and he doesn't have that confidence at the moment, but I think it's slowly coming to him. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's hard to say, isn't it? Um, Rebel have been really good. They're just missing that extra something, whether it's just getting that integration with Honda sort of under their belts, whether it's improving the characteristics of the car uh as you said scott verstappen's not convinced that there's any point where red bull has a distinct advantage over mercedes at especially barcelona so they are they need to sort of they they used to have this niche where they were fantastic in in the corners um but they don't have really that going for them anymore so um it's it's a transition year, really, isn't it? Um, so, yeah. Otherwise, it's been a, a strong weekend for them. I would say that, as uh, as Verstappen pointed out after the race, it's not that the Rebel is a bad car by any means. It's just that that you know we're comparing them with the Mercedes, which is at the moment such a potent all round package, and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be understated how significant it is for for Red Bull to have beaten the Ferraris on merit I think for the for the second time this season the other time being Australia when Verstappen was deservedly on the podium ahead of the Ferraris same again here he never really looked troubled did he by by either Ferrari once he he got in front and obviously circumstances played a part in that because Vettel had flat spotted his right front with that lock up down into turn one but I was really, really impressed by Verstappen today. He, as you said, JBL, he did his best to try and keep Bottas honest. Uh, it's his second podium in five races. I think he's got double the number of points. I think he's on 66 points now in the championship. He had 33, I believe, after this 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 race last year. It's a measure of how much Verstappen's grown as a driver. Uh, I think credit to Honda for giving Red Bull something that is clearly much more reliable than the 2019 Renault engine is. Um, it's, it's certainly decent performance-wise. Hamilton talked up the job Honda's done again after the race today. And it ju- I think Rebel just need to find that edge, don't they? That, let's not forget that this is a car that, after the first two races of the season, was proving problematic. I think they are still unlocking a few things. They're certainly not entirely on top of the tyres. That's something that I believe only Mercedes can probably truly say at this stage. Verstappen certainly thinks that Merck are the only team that aren't struggling to get the most out of these Pirellis. Um, so I, I think there is still more to come from the Rebel Honda package. They have, uh, they are now level with Ferrari in terms of engine upgrades this season. So they don't seem to have fallen massively behind Ferrari on that. Otherwise, the Ferraris would have blasted past in a straight line on the safety car restart, for example. So it, I think it looks good for Rebel. It's just, again, like I said earlier, Mercedes have just moved the goalposts, haven't they? So every time they get closer, it's cat and mouse and, and Merck just stretch a little bit further ahead. Yeah, that's very true. And it's, it's an interesting little battle between Ferrari and Red Bull. We'll, uh, we'll get into the uh, into the, the cut and thrust of that in a moment. But just quickly, uh, Scott Mitchell, do you remember Lawrence Barreto? Yeah, yeah, it didn't... Uh, he used to be good at Fancy Premier League. He's not so good anymore. <laughs> yes, he's, uh, he's, he's struggled in our... Oh, and he worked for us. Yeah. He did indeed, yes. Listeners of this podcast man. will remember... Lawrence Barreto. And the reason I mentioned him, and because we've just been talking about strategy, is that Lawrence Barreto, former star of this podcast, will be appearing on our, our friends at F1 Strategy Report podcast. A podcast I appeared on their post Azerbaijan Grand Prix one. They have a different guest for uh, reviewing each race and really dig into the strategy. And it, it's Lawrence Barreto's turn. Of course, he now turned up at F1. I hope he does a better job of analysing the strategy of this race than he did for strategising his fancy Premier League season. Well, yes, yeah. The, the season, of course, has just finished. And, uh, yeah, he's he's lost out. He's finished behind all of us. And it had quite, there's quite a grudge match with Ben Anderson of, of Autosport as well. And, uh, yeah, Ben prevailed in that. So he's been sending some triumphant messages. But I should just remind everyone, I defeated all. So, uh, yeah, the... Um, it's it's always interesting to delve into the the strategy uh, side of the race. The F1 Strategy Report podcast comes out after 
each race, uh, usually on the on the Monday, hosted by Michael Laminato, the Australian, who you may remember uh, appeared on our one of our podcasts between the Chinese and Azerbaijan Grand Prix. So uh, yeah, do do subscribe to that usual the usual podcast outlets you'll be able to get that from F1 Strategy Report dot com just to get another fix of f1 and analysis which i know listeners to this podcast will certainly uh, enjoy if you if you like listening to world sport have a listen to f1 strategy report as well uh, while talking of strategy let's get on to what went on with ferrari because for seemingly the 100th race in succession that's what it feels like we had uh, some some team orders uh, going on with with ferrari how do you think they played it scott because obviously you had this situation Leclerc had qualified uh, fifth behind behind Vettel and Verstappen of course Leclerc had compromised himself in qualifying he ran wide at Kamsa in Q2 on his first run picked up a little bit of floor damage then he'd had to do another run in Q2 using what should have been a second set of soft tyres for Q3 so he could do one run in Q3 and they did that slightly out of sync in order that he could uh, have a couple of goes on the on the soft tyre although of course the second runs in in Q3 were pointless because the track conditions were, were much, much worse. So he ended up fifth. And then yet again at the start there, Ferrari finds Sebastian Vettel and then Leclerc looking potentially quicker behind him. Yeah, and the only reason that happened was because, uh, I think, because Vettel was struggling with the, I think he said that the the flat spot he'd picked up at, at the first corner, he'd obviously attra- att- attacked the, the two Mercedes on the outside. He said... Uh, <laughs> It was quite funny, actually. He was in a decent mood in his uh, post-race media debrief. He said, uh, my my intention was to uh, be the last person to break into Turn 1, and I think I managed it. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was breaking slightly too late. You can't necessarily blame him for, for that attempt. Uh, it was make or break, outside. wasn't it, for his race? It, it was, yeah. And he, or his he, chances to win, I should yeah, say. Exactly, and he, and he was in a good position, and you know, said Bottas did a great job not to get caught because he was stuck right between the two of them in fact as Vettel did say that he kind of did Hamilton a favour there which I do I do agree with because I do think that was part of the start because if you look at the start Hamilton got kind of up not quite he wasn't quite level with he wasn't ahead of Bottas in the start so he made that initial gain and they were charging down to the first corner but the fact Bottas had that Ferrari to think about and deal with as well meant that Hamilton who was probably going to be ahead anyway out of the corner, but he kind of had a clear run through. But Bottas would have just hung it around the outside, wouldn't he, if Vettel hadn't been there? And he might have had track position going into two, and then it would have been very interesting to see sort of what happened between those two. Yeah, he might also have ended up off on the runoff, or yeah, yeah so no, it'd been I, interesting I, to see what would have happened. I, I suspect it. I, you're, you're right, and Vettel is right. He did the Hamilton a massive favour, but so yeah, those, and then by then trying to rejoin after running wide, uh, so slightly onto the runoff on the exit of turn one, as the track goes around to the right. Vettel then came back across, moved over, managed to block Leclerc getting through, but in doing so allowed Verstappen to pass the both of them. And then, yeah, uh, Vettel just fell further and further back and it became clear that Leclerc was the quicker driver. Um, but much took, like... Took in, them to lap 12 to swap them. Much like in China, it almost felt like Ferrari waited and waited just to see if the situation would settle down or to the point where... Vettel stopped hemorrhage in time to the people in front or wherever it was. And then eventually Vettel just came over the radio, didn't he, and said, yep, I'm going to let him by at the end of the straight. But once I let him by, you need to find a... But once I let him by, you need to find a window for me to stop absolutely ASAP because, good Lord, I need to get off these tyres. They're bloody terrible after the flat spot. There weren't, and, there weren't a great deal of gaps, unfortunately. No, but it, there was a point, wasn't there, where he was just saying, I don't care if there's if there's no gap, find me one. I Put me out in traffic, I don't care. Uh, which I didn't really. I'm a, I messaged you didn't I, at the time. It wasn't it? especially constructive. Didn't feel like the smartest thing to do. But, but I do feel that they were they were slow in making that swap. It, oh, they were I'd slow making it again, weren't they? Because the thing was, um, said, said to you during during the race. For me, the clincher was the fact that that Vettel had that flat spot meant that there was you didn't really want to just let it play out because it wasn't that sort of situation. You could at least maybe argue in China that you waited to see how the battle resolved itself and how the pace settled down. But there, you had. The, the driver that was ahead had a clear reason why he'd be slower, and I f- and I feel they just they just gave away time. Uh yeah, I agree. Benotto doesn't agree. He thinks that they didn't dither over making the decision, um, but it it just feels like they don't. It feels like they still don't act decisively. I think they I think they are definitely better this year about their willingness to do it and 
the clarity with which they do it. There's certainly none of that sort of um, ambiguous instruction given that annoyed Kimi Raikkonen so much when he was in the second Ferrari. But at the start of the race and in the second phase of the race when Vettel caught back up to Leclerc, when Vettel was on mediums, Leclerc was on hard tyres, they were on different strategies. And again, faffing around, needlessly costing themselves time. It just, it, it's all part of this. Ferrari seem to be doing everything right. Every, every decision they make seems to be correct in principle. It's just, for whatever reason, application and execution are not their friends, are they? And the team orders, I feel, is a pretty symbolic representation of that. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just things costing a bit of time. The second time around, they definitely should have done it quicker because you had an offset in terms of the tyres. So it was, it was obvious. And, you know, they, they they swapped around on lap 36 and then Vettel pitted on lap 40. So he only had a few laps in which to kind of make, make, use, of, make use of that pace. So it, it just... It just didn't help their cause. Can I ask your other guest a question? Yes. Excellent. JBL, Hi. When, uh, when you have that situation like we saw at the beginning where Vettel has flat spot to tyre but is holding up Leclerc, um, how much damage is that doing uh, to, the, to, the, to the... So, for example, for Leclerc following, how, how much is he losing? Because it's not just the time loss is it it's the fact that he's probably damaging his tires as well so when he is in clear air he's not going to be as effective as if he was really straight straight away right yeah well because even though he is damaging his tires he's still at the start of the race even though they've done a qualifying run on those tires they've still got some life in them and by the time he got left through he's not got the prime of those tires anymore they're just Basically, they've lost uh, uh, quite a lot of adhesion um, rely, at that point, relying mainly on uh, the mechanical grip from the tyres for grip. And he just doesn't have that anymore. And as you say, being in dirt, yeah, it does destroy your tyres because they just begin to overheat, begin to grain, they begin to blister. And it's very, very difficult to manage a tyre once it's in that phase. Um, but it's also, it's even though we've got those new regulations, it's still very difficult to follow. Um and, you know, he's having to work his tyres a little bit harder to try and catch up to Vettel and, you know, be in his, uh, in his uh, back of his gearbox. Uh, it's it's difficult. You ha- In that situation, when you've got two teammates, you have an opportunity to be decisive at that point. And Ferrari seem particularly risk-adverse. Uh, don't want to call the shots because they either upset their four-time world champion who is in their mind their lead driver or they upset the the future of their team so it's it i appreciate it's a bit of a sort of tightrope balancing act but in that situation yeah you have to be decisive Um, it's it's easy kind of for me to sit there during the race and say well you should do this but I, i almost feel like they just feel like they're hoping it'll resolve itself without intervention quickly and i just feel that You've got to do that thing of just being willing to make the decision and, and, and go with it a little bit early. You just need to be to be decisive and uh, and cop the flack. Because it keeps happening both ways round, it's not just when Vettel's in front, they want to just leave him in front and hope that Leclerc falls back. Part of me wonders if how part of me wonders how much of it is because they they simply don't want to uh, to just they just don't want to implement team orders they they want to be able to let their drivers race and i admire that to an extent but when like it's like you say the, the the simple fact in this scenario was that vettel had that damaged tire that just seems to me to overall any kind of sort of racing ethos or spirit or whatever that like the race is compromised and your situ your best bet there is to just manage it as good as you can and 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 i don't i don't think anyone feels that that's really what they did and it just made the race worse for them because they were already on the back foot pace-wise and then giving away a little bit of time at the start as, uh, in, the, in the first stint as well with, with Leclerc didn't help. And it, it's just, it, the race didn't really go brilliantly for them. You know, we know the Red Bulls got, got good pace and can beat the Ferrari, but ended up being a little bit easier. Of course, Red Bull locked into that two-stop strategy at the first stop by putting Verstappen out on the second set of soft. And then we ended up with Leclerc kind of going for the one stop by switching onto the hards and then Vettel 
ended up on the on the two stopper. Although everything kind of balanced out later on when the safety car uh, was deployed. At which point, already, already the Mercedes drivers were taking their sort of free pit stop, as it were. Because obviously we saw that that uh, slight tire damage that Hamilton had on the on the right rear. But Mercedes were just so far ahead; it it, it didn't matter. It's a little bit of a shame that the race in that battle for third, fourth, fifth kind of was was frozen by that by that safety car, but. I think ultimately Red Bull beat Ferrari is a fairly uh, a fairly fair result. Uh, and Pierre Gasly, as you said, uh, JBL in, in in sixth place. It's kind of a, it's a little bit last in class uh, again for him. But Baku Baku was was probably stronger than uh, than Barcelona. But it's a big ask to go up against Max Verstappen and his team and get on top of it. So hopefully uh, Gasly will uh, will continue to make some uh, some progress. Uh, looking a little bit. F- Further down, of course, we had the the Hass. Uh, the two Hasses were the quickest of the of the midfielders, taking seventh and uh, and eighth on the grid. Um, of course, you had uh, Roman Grosjean uh, ahead of Kevin Magnussen. And JBL, we saw upgrades from Hass, but they split on Friday, didn't they? They kept Magnussen with the old spec and Grosjean with the new spec, which is a fairly sensible way to to back to back things. Then it all seemed to work nicely. Magnussen got the the new spec, so. What do we read into this Haas performance? Because they've had a few very difficult weekends struggling with tyres and here they're back on kind of Australia form where we, where we expect them to be. And they still don't really know the reason why. Um, as you said, they back-to-back. Um, Magnussen took the old car uh, on, on Friday practice. Uh, Grosjean had the new, was the new spec uh, just with the new era updates and bits and pieces. And but Magnussen's car seemed to work well too, so it's not, and that was unchanged from Baku as well. And as Gunter Steiner said after qualifying, it's not the fact that we'd put upgrades on that car because it's it was the same car. It's just the tracks changed, the conditions have changed. Now we know Barcelona; it's a lot uh, a more high energy circuit because there's there's long radius corners and relatively quick corners. Um, the tire is undergoing a lot more load, and then that means that there's just a lot more energy going into that tyre, keeping it a lot warmer and therefore it's able to stay in within the operating window quite a lot more easily. We know that these tyres now have a thinner tread, um, which means that they can dissipate heat a little bit more, but the teams are struggling to sort of hold on to that. Uh, only Mercedes uh, seems to have the measure of it. And Haas is probably one of the most... The team that fluctuates the most with their tyre performance. Um, they're not particularly consistent at this moment in time. Um, they've come to they've come to Barcelona uh, and suddenly everything's working. And they've said that they want to use the test after the race to try and work out, still work out what on earth is going on because they could go to Monaco and things could be really good, but they could equally go to Monaco and things could be dreadful. And they could go out in Q one or Q two. So they don't really know where they're at at the moment. Uh, fundamentally it seems to be a good car but there's just that particular element of it that it's such a performance differentiator Um, yeah they're still not entirely sure what's going on they need to do themselves a favour and bang their drivers heads together as well because of the situation they're in when they're not uh, consistently performing when they've got an opportunity to lock out best of the rest like they did here they need to be being sensible and not uh, taking lumps out of each other because they, they cost themselves points at this race. Yeah, of course. So they were seventh and eighth. Well, they basically seventh and eighth at the start with Grosjean ahead of Magnussen. They were seventh and eighth at the restart after the safety car, and then Magnussen. Sorry, got no problem with it. You know, he attacked on the DRS. He got well alongside, and then they had the contact, and that sort of sent Grosjean's race into a spiral. He slipped back from seventh to tenth in the closing stage and had to hold off. Uh, Toros or Alex Alban to, to the end of the race. So they ended up with fewer points than they should have done. I mean, probably ideally they'd have just thought, could you not just have driven around uh, together? I think there's a little bit of six or one, half a dozen of the other. Magnussen could have just opted to sit behind. But if Grosjean made a better restart and then maybe seeded it, it would have been a little bit, seeded the corner, it would have been a little bit different. But they, this is the problem they they had last year, not banking these double points finishes when they could do. And this is a double points finish, but... 7th and 10th versus 7th and 8th it's quite a big difference and and you give points to your rivals it's not just that they've lost points you know they 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 gave extra points to to McLaren and you know Haas isn't going to be racing Toro Rosso in the championship this year because 
think Toro Rosso will slip out the points more often than not. But McLaren is going to be a contender. The way that they've started the season, it's looking like McLaren's going to... I think McLaren is the is the best of the rest still, isn't it, at the moment? In terms of points, yeah. Well, Carlos Sainz ended up in eighth place, which he didn't really have any business being. And he, no, he exactly. did really well at the... He had a good race in a, in a tricky car and then made good progress at the end. But yeah, opening the door like that is not what Haas needs to do. It's just silly. I, it's a, a, a phrase, I think, I think I might have read it in one of your columns a while ago, Ed. Um it's not not specific to Haas, but as a a decent bit of phraseology for a, a team that constantly trips itself up is that the, the strategy seems to be load gun, point at foot, pull trigger. And it's just needless. It's just, by the time that race got to, by the time that race got to the safety car restart, uh, and as we had this conversation earlier, Ed, Magnussen was fortunate to be in eighth still because he's fallen behind the Toro Rosso of Daniel Kvyat. He'd got ahead because of a completely botched Toro Rosso double stack. Um, the double stack didn't really have anything to do with uh, the pit stop being botched. They didn't have Kvyat's tyres ready, I don't think, and it was just a bit of a... It was all a bit chaotic. It was, a bit, it was calamitous, wasn't it? Um, but that gifted Magnussen eighth back. So in that situation... You've got the result that you, sh- you know, you, that had performance in qualifying translated entirely over a race distance. It should have been seventh and eighth. You got a bit lucky by getting back into seventh and eighth. Now, either the order should have been given very clearly: don't attack Grosjean at the restart, or the order was given and it was ignored. Either way, the team needs to learn from it. I think Gunter Steiner said after the race that they immediately had a meeting, they've cleared the air straight away, said. We're not going to blame any, uh, any anyone. We're not going to get into that. Simply put, this doesn't happen again. And if that's the case, absolutely brilliant. But, you know, Grosjean and Magnussen were both asked after qualifying, Do you get, are you going to need any rules of engagement? Horrible phrase, but that's what they were asked tomorrow because you need to score points. You've had a terrible start to the season, blah, blah, blah. And both of them said, no, it's going to be fine. We've only ever hit each other once last year. That was at Silverstone. We got told that was rubbish. Don't do it again. And look at that. What was it? 13 laps from the finish? Something like that. About to finally get some proper points on the board for your team. And that they were lucky to get away with that and finish the race in 7th and 10th. Contact like that at the first corner could have easily been a broken front wing and a puncher or taking both out on the spot and you'd have given your opposition even more to, even more points. Well, ultimately, they've, they've ended up giving... I mean, they should have passed racing point in the championship. They're currently 6th in the Constructors' Championship and then McLaren... Probably shouldn't have, ideally shouldn't have had any points in that race, but they've they've helped uh, science to to come away with a with a with a hall of four that probably shouldn't have done. So yeah, it's not a not not great for Haas. They need to they need to avoid that sort of thing uh, thing happening. Although I feel a little bit sorry for Grosjean in a way because because of the safety car and everything he he, he, he had really class B one and then it just sort of unravelled late on, which is. Uh, which is unfortunate. Now, just quickly before we continue, I do have a question for you, JBL. How concerned would you be about a Grand Prix team that is able to qualify third and fades to 15th in a race? Say that again? We're going to the world of IGP manager here for an update because we in the last race qualified third. Remarkable. Considering we, you know, we qualified ninth in Turkey and I had run as high as seventh but slipped out of the points. So the race has been getting away a little bit. But you can qualify third and then you race to 15th on merit. That's that's very terrible. Um, that is, uh, I, I, I would want to fire everybody in the room if that had happened in my team. <laughs> Consider this your job interview to be technical director. So, uh, what, you know, an IGP manager, we've, we've got, you can recruit people. You can improve facilities. You can work on different characteristics of the car, acceleration, braking, downforce, that kind of thing. What what do we blame? Do uh, we blame the team boss? Are you going to blame me? Uh, I tend to blame him, to be fair. can blame everything. Blame the, the wind. Uh, the sun was in the driver's eyes, maybe. Uh, blame the drivers. Sack them all. Start afresh. Start new. Yeah, about getting to that point. I mean, I'm encouraged that at least the pace is improving. Able to qualify so strongly that's that's something but race pace isn't good that's uh that's worrying our strategy is still a little bit subpar i would say but 
You may seem to be having a Hass-like problem with your tyres there. So, uh, yeah, maybe a few more tests and you'll be right as rain. We could blame the tyres, actually, couldn't we? That could be quite a good thing to do. There should, there should be a... Perhaps that's something IGP Manager should, should add. Of course, you can download IGP Manager from uh, for Android platforms, iOS, and also in browsers. So head to the App Store and all the usual places. For that, it's free to sign up for. But there's no blame the tyres button. That's why I might ask. I might suggest to the developers that they add that, just so we can say, "Well, it's tired. make it more realistic." It would, wouldn't it? Yeah, you just have this this suite of things to blame, and it'd just be the, the number one choice would be tires. Oh, I couldn't get the tires working, but uh, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think. It's still a team that is growing, I would say. Given it's a, a, a racing management game, um, the fact that they don't have some kind of extensive list of racing drivers' excuses is something that could definitely be added in future Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been trotting out plenty of them in uh, when we've talked about it on the podcast, so uh, that's that give them a starting a starting list now. But uh, yeah, well, we're in a competitive league, and uh, yeah, the the, the team that's uh, that's doing all the winning is, uh, is spectacularly quick i think i think acceleration and braking characteristics we're lagging a little bit a little bit behind on but you know if you can qualify third you know you should be able to convert that into race pace so that that's the challenge for us on igp manager so uh, if you fancy a go download for android ios or uh, or you can play it in browser as well and you'll also be able to find a sign up link in the episode information of this podcast well let's get back to the spanish grand prix we talked about the Hasses. We briefly touched on the Toro Rosso chaos. I've been a bit frustrated with Toro Rosso this year because the car's quick. We keep seeing the car do particularly impressive long runs on Friday. That race pace is there in flashes, and Kvyat was coming through. Uh, obviously, as you said, Scott, he passed Magnussen, so he, he was on course to 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 be eighth, moving sort of right to near the front of the Class B battle. And they've come away with just Kvyat, uh, just Kvyat, 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 with just Daniel Kvyat in ninth place. And if I was them, I'd be looking at and thinking, actually, we should have more points than we've got. They should definitely have more points than they've got. But I would, uh, I would Daniel, Daniel caveat that with uh, the suggestion that they've actually done, they've actually done quite well because when you consider how tight that midfield battle is and how many different teams brought upgrades and and, and all of that. I'm surprised they didn't slip back and I'm surprised that they were quite so potent, uh, especially on a track that is, it does properly test the car's characteristics, doesn't it, uh, Barcelona? That's what makes it such a good testing venue and and why we often see the likes of, of, of Red Bull sort of show so well. So very encouraging and I, I suspect it also goes some way to validating what Toro Rosso have done with you know using a lot of old Red Bull parts from last year but also allowing themselves to specialize on different areas I don't know sort of what they had this weekend JBL what if they had anything in the way of a package that matched some of the other midfield teams it certainly wasn't as extensive no but yeah um but what I would say is that Toro Rosso are consistently the fifth or sixth best team but the problem is you have the first, in the, especially in the midfield, the first few races of the season have been quite mixed. Obviously, at the front, it's been the same story. But one weekend, McLaren might be the best. Uh, in Australia, it was Haas. Uh, in Baku, uh, Perez was the top guy. And so with retirements and other things, they can usually back a fifth or a sixth. And Toro Rosso has consistently been around ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, that kind of area. And so... They've only been able to pick up the small points. So they're languishing in, I think it's about ninth in the Constructors' Championship now. Despite have got six points. Despite the fact that they are consistently in the middle of the pack. It's just they've not had that opportunity where they've got the best midfield package for that given weekend and can go after a sixth or a seventh and pick up some big points. The drivers have been very, very strong this year so far. Um, Kvyat has looked you know, rejuvenated um, after a tough couple of seasons. I think Kvyat's been, Kvyat's been bet. I can't, I can't forget his name <laughs> now. This Kvyat, Kvyat thing has absolutely <laughs> thrown me. I, I should say in my defence, it is after midnight, so uh, explains it. But he, yeah, I think he's actually been pretty, pretty good. Yeah, exactly. And then you've, in the other car, you've got Alex Albon, who had absolutely no Formula One experience before going into the car. Of Like, I think probably one of the most, the least experienced rookies for a very very long time back in the 90s and 2000s rookie drivers could 
do tons of miles in tests. Today, they could do free practice sessions and simulator work. And Albon came in green, and he's done a brilliant job as well. It's just, as I said, I think my theory is that they're consistently in fifth, sixth, seventh best team bracket. But they're just, they've just sort of fallen down uh, the back of the sofa a little bit when it comes to getting points at the end of a weekend. Yeah, it has been unfortunate. Obviously, one of the beneficiaries was Carlos Sainz. I was impressed with coming through to to eighth place. It was a really tough weekend for for McLaren. Uh, struggled to really ex- extract the pace from the car, um, but you know kept at it. Science drove a, a good, you know, consistently strong race. He was battling with people like Ricardo, and yeah, managed to uh, managed to make the best of it with with those with those points. Albon ended up just off the back of, of Grosjean. He was pushing for points. It was a bit frustrating for Albon because he was he was quick again. He should have been in Q3, but he only had one run in Q2 because he only had one set of, of tyres available and then ran wide at turn five, which was uh, just, just cost him that little bit of time when he didn't make it through. Very disappointing weekend for Renault. Daniel Ricciardo 11th and... No, Daniel Ricciardo 12th and uh, Nico Hülkenberg 13th. Just... You know, we expected a lot more of Renault, didn't we, Scott? They just, but they've just, they've not taken the step they need to. It's concerning that they are very much not in line with their targets. This wasn't meant to be another best of the rest season from Renault. This was meant to be comfortably best of the rest and starting to make inroads into the top three. Right now, they're not even looking like they're going to be best of the rest this year. And there is a lot of time left. They have got a lot of resources and they have got probably the best driver pairing outside of the big three teams i'd actually wager they've got a stronger driver pairing than one of the big three teams i'd probably take a driver pairing of ricardo and hulkenberg over verstappen and gasly personally um that's not because i I think that gasly is particularly bad i just think ricardo and hulk are both excellent and yet Despite those positives, despite the fact that they will probably move back into fourth by over the course of the season, they are eighth at the moment and they have had a really poor start to the year. They had upgrades this weekend. Um, I think some stuff to at the rear of the car, is that correct, JBL? Yeah, and, um, nice fresh new T-wing. So they've basically looks like they've strapped a coat hanger to the back of the car. Little monkey seat uh, to, well, sit their monkeys on. Uh, uh, a few bits to the front as well, but again, nothing massive. And an up- upgraded engine, mainly for reliability reasons, but again, much like uh, Honda of, and Red Bull have pointed out, if you've got a more reliable engine, uh, more reliable engine, you can run the power modes you want in the race more. You can basically push it a little bit harder. So there is performance to be found there, even if it's not an outright BHP increase on the on the internal combustion engine itself. And yet it translated, as you said, Ed, into another underwhelming weekend. And I don't really know what I don't really know what's going wrong there. They've 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 added more management personnel and the idea behind it, I believe, is to allow the talented people within the team to sort of do their job because at the moment they're doing too much management and they're trying to sort of oversee too much and they need to focus on what their actual jobs are, so that gives Remy Tafan more freedom to focus on the engine side and Nick Chester on the chassis side and those are sort of bigger picture things that we won't see short-term results for and it's short-term results Renault need because right now they're being beaten by teams that have it's not that they don't have any right to be beating them because that kind of makes it sound like F1 should be this very specific pecking order but in terms of resource, in terms of where they were last year, in terms of where the general momentum and everything is after the last few seasons, Renault Renault should shouldn't be in this situation. And you can tell by the way Cyril Abitable speaks that you know concern is starting to set in. I think the the Bahrain double failure in quick succession, that really really bizarre one in the space of a few seconds, where both co- cars conked out. I think that sapped a lot of enthusiasm and motivation and optimism from Renault I think they've had a big big reality check in these first few races and how they pick themselves up from here what their program is is going to define the rest of their season but maybe the program as a whole because ultimately this is a really really expensive resource laden project and they aren't getting the results to match that at the moment there weren't many particular incidents in the race to talk about obviously Kimi Raikkonen went off at turn five on the first lap had a bit of a run through the gravel he was asked after the race 
what caused that and he just said well I just had to try something so and he started driving through the gravel was a good way to do it so just maybe being a little bit too uh attacking difficult weekend for Alfa Romeo the, the main one I guess in the race was Lance Stroll against Lando Norris when Norris attacked to the outside in in into turn one and they made contact both drivers out the only two retirements of the race and that led to that uh, late race safety car Stewart's took no action anybody going to object to that uh, I'm definitely not. I think it was very much six of one, half a dozen of the other. Um, Norris could have backed out of it. Stroll could have looked in his left-hand mirror and gone, oh, there's a car there. Ultimately, you know, both ended up in the gravel and that was their races done. Uh, early baths for both of them. Yeah, so I'm just going to be very, very boring and just say, I think race control got it pretty much spot on there. I don't know. I'm not entirely convinced on the grounds that Norris went slightly off the road going around the outside into turn one. I think he had his outside wheels on the runoff. And in that situation, does he not have to back out? He's he's run off the track. Is it does he really have any business keeping it keeping his nose inside Stroll for the left hander? I certainly believe that Stroll could have given him more room. He knew that that car would have been on his outside somewhere and he wouldn't have lost any ground and I don't think he'd have lost a position by keeping the car more to the right. So Stroll definitely could have left more room but at the same time, is there an element that, that Norris maybe should have backed out and realised that that wasn't his because it was just a, it was a needless clash for both of them to have. Maybe it was a racing incident but... Well, the stewards did, the stewards did say that there was an opportunity for, for Norris to back out of it. Uh earlier and that Stroll could have also left more so that that's part of their racing incident thing. I'm going to ask Norris after the race if he considered back out because the way I look at it that first corner is not a slow corner so if you're attacking around the outside we've seen time and time and time again that being side by side on the outside isn't enough you need to have a, a kind of clear advantage at, at, at turning to make that work so I feel there's, um, across the board, there's, there's a bit of live by the sword, die by the sword there. Stroll maybe could have been a bit more generous, but by the time they made contact, uh, it, it was sort of with the front of Norris's car. I don't really have a particular problem with the, with the verdict. They were battling over 14th place anyway, so I guess Norris probably thought we had to have a go at something. Um, and Stroll didn't have too much to, to lose. So, yeah, I mean, we talk about trying to let the drivers race and, not punish everything so that seemed, that seemed fair enough but it wasn't the most uh, incident packed race of course the two Williams drivers as usual at the, at the uh at the back although George Russell did manage to put in a qualifying lap that's uh that put the Williams closer than it's ever been to the uh to the mid-pack he did 119.072 which was uh yeah not too uh not too far off so Lance Stroll 18471 uh Antonio Giovinazzi did 18664 by comparison, so that's not so. Uh, that's some progress for Williams. I was going to say encouraging. At least they're they're getting somewhere. I would like to uh, I would like to offer a little bit of encouragement for for Williams. There was a there was a metric in the race in which Williams placed third and fifth and scored twenty five points as a team. And do you know what that was for? Would this be the DHL pit stop competition? It is. It's the fastest pit stop award. Well, that, that so that's great for. Um, faded giants then isn't it it is because first mclaren carlos signs 2.07 second pit stop second lando norris so mclaren again 2.14 seconds robert kubitza completing the podium third on 2.16 seconds and a ferrari no one cares 2.23 seconds and then the second williams george russell 2.29 seconds and then a whopping two temps margin over the next best which is red bull and as much as that ultimately means nothing there's no uh points in reality for that it does show that for all of the difficulties with the the design and uh, production manufacturing whatever of of the cars and the limitations that mclaren and williams both had and mclaren is obviously getting back to where it wants to be at least it shows that the race teams are still damn sharp yeah they are they are very very good and you can see how easy it is for pit stops to go wrong we saw obviously the torosso uh chaos and we saw ferrari, ferrari, had, ferrari had problems with the, with the left rear yeah on, on, cross on, both cars. Will not on both cars 
Yeah, it's very, very easy for these things to go wrong. So at least that's uh, something. I, ultimately, I think the the the, the reasons for Williams' struggles like the factor. I think the race team is is generally pretty pretty sharp. So uh, yeah, it's good for them to get a little bit of uh, credit for that. Uh, well, we hope you've uh, enjoyed the insight. Thanks very much to Jake Boxall-Leg and Scott Mitchell. Remember, the Old Sport podcast comes out every Monday and Thursday, always after the Grand Prix itself. It'll be a race review, much like this one. Uh, do head to autosport.com. Loads of fallout from the from the race and stories from the, uh, the world of Formula One and the rest of motorsport on there. And check out our Plus subscriber area, where for a small fee you can read the world's best motorsport journalists. Check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly, and Motorsport News, out every Wednesday. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. You can find the Autosport podcast as well on, on Spreaker. You can like it on there, or you can download it from uh, and subscribe to it for free from whichever is your podcast supplier of choice. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This is it. This is the year. Enough dreaming about growing my business online. It's time to get serious about selling. In my style. As big as I want to grow. Because there's nothing I can't do. It's time to get Shopify and take my business to the next level. Whoa, someone's ready to take on the new year. Oh, oh, I thought I was talking to myself there. But heck yeah, 2023 is my year. That's not your average resolution. That's a revolution. It's It's a a new New year's Year's revolution. Start selling with Shopify to join the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand. From templates that make site design simple to customizations that let you grow at your pace, this is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com free22. That's shopify.com free22. Go to shopify.com to start your New Year's revolution today. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.